Greetings, friends. I'm Will Nicholas from Never Odd or Even, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast, exploring faith and fiction. Deep Space Nine. It's a wonderful reflective moment. Flame the dark. True salt wave. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. What's going on? Why is this being highlighted? That itself is another interesting question, isn't it? I think I'm starting to get why this science fiction thing is uh, <laughs> uh, is so attractive. You'll, you'll make a sci-fi fan out of me yet. Greetings, friends. I'm Will Nicholas, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast. And today um, I am going to talk us through, or we are going to talk us through, the episode called The Defiant. Uh, Defiant is uh, episode nine of season three of Deep Space Nine uh, and uh, allows us to uh, take Jonathan Frakes, who directed our episode last week, Meridian, uh, from behind the camera to in front of the camera. Jonathan Frakes arrives as Riker, uh, who we assume to be Will Riker, on the station to requisition the Defiant on behalf of the Marquis. He uh, quickly manages to charm Major Kira and they find themselves on board the Defiant and uh, and we discover soon afterwards that it is not Will Riker but in fact his evil twin Thomas Riker. Uh, a great reveal uh, and, uh, and a, an exciting episode uh, which takes us uh, into further un- unwilling cooperation with Gold Ducott, uh, several starship battles in space, uh, and uh, a race against time to prevent the, uh, the ship from entering into Cardassian territory. Uh, a little bit of intrigue with the Tal Shiar today. Not Tal Shiar, that's the Romulans. I got that wrong. Uh, with the Obsidian Order today uh, as well. I'm joined today by Mulk, uh, Steve Mulkington, uh, who is uh, the senior consultant um uh, sorry, Senior Pulse uh, Field Officer for the Uniting Church New South Wales ACT, um, has the handle Guide Father uh, on Twitter, Twitter, um, and um, is a, is a probably the most well connected uh, Australian media personality I know um, uh, in person. Uh, Malk, welcome to the podcast today. Hello, Will. Thank you very much. Um, it's not a very high bar if you're saying that I'm the most well connected media person that you know. Well, I don't know many media people who are well connected. So, but yeah, look, I'm I not well say, connected uh, either. So we see it's organised. Oh, uh, look, I have to say, back in the back in the COVID period when you were running your uh, Stay Calm, um, which I, I was a big fan of, by the way, um, well, I you. was just astounded by the people that uh, you and Braden French, who's been on the podcast before, uh, were able to get in and um, and come along and have a chat with you. You'd be amazed who says yes when they're desperately out of work and bored. You don't know any uh, Star Trek uh, actors, um, producers, or directors, do you? Actually, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> but that's well, other than obviously the, the actors that we see on screen. Um, but surely we could probably get connected as a spin-off to this podcast. We could get into, you know, uh, unpacking the great Australian sci-fi series Farscape. Absolutely, yeah, that would be fantastic. I, I am looking at spin-offs, um, and I've already had a request to do an MCU spin-off uh, later on in the year during the Goodness. downtime. Um, so, so yeah, there's a few different um, ideas, and I think Farscape would be fabulous to look at, um, mm. especially with its Australian connection. It is a hundred so years old, though. When I well, it's, well, it's, well, it's, well, I guess it's it wouldn't be too much older than. Um, than uh, next generation, it'd be about the same vintage, wouldn't it? As oh, well, actually, generation. Farscape is is newer. It it didn't land until sort of the late nineties. Late nineties, um, yeah, yeah. 
Yep. Well, look, what I do um, uh, when I get a, a guest on for the first time, we get to know you a little bit so the fans can actually um, decide whether they like you or not. Um, and um, I, I always ask the question, when did you first start watching Deep Space Nine? Uh, it would have been, Will, back when it first started airing here in Australia, very late at night, um, you know, when we got the first runs of the episodes because I'm old enough to have lived in both an internet and non-internet period. Um, so that meant that having to wait, you know, for it to, to get over here and air on our TV screens, as I said, usually at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, um, I will offer that I was absolutely a hardcore Next Generation fan. And when Deep Space Nine came out, it was a change in life for me where I was leaving university and getting into work and, and relationships and all of those sorts of things. So while I would watch it every time I was up, I often wasn't up or I was busy with other things when uh, Deep Space Nine was on. And it wasn't as easy to record or capture or, or replay things. If you missed them, you kind of missed them and had to wait for them to come back around again. Yeah, had to have one of those fancy VCRs that allowed you to set recording times and had to make sure you had the right tape in the thing and all of those sorts of things. So uh, personal question, um, were you a, a VHS or, or a beta man? I'd have VHS all the way. <laughs> yeah, all those people with the beaters, they kind of lost out with their smaller tapes, didn't they? Oh, look, it was hilarious, right, because the the, the broadcast industry lent into beta cams because the quality was better and all of those sorts of things. So they went down that path, but the home rental market landed very squarely in VHS. Uh, and I remember in the early days when you could be both and you'd go to the video store and you would walk in and the largest part of the store by far was VHS always. But there was always this corner of all of the same new movies on a beta format, and that seemed to last for about three months. And then, if you've got a beta, you know, a beta uh, VCR, it just didn't last; vanished. Yeah, that's right. All those Apple and uh, Linux users were standing in the corner, looking sad with their Beta Max um, short supply. Yeah, that's right. Um, do you have a favourite character um, uh, for Deep Space Nine, or Star Trek in general, or science fiction in general? Oh, look, mate, we've just opened up a huge world, haven't we? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Science fiction in general, it's pretty hard to go past Luke Skywalker. I was a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, but if we drill into the Star Trek universe, look, I, I, I will offer that I was pretty enamoured with the Picard-Riker relationship of Next Generation, um, though uh, drawn to Catherine Janeway, uh, Captain Janeway, when when you know she was in charge in her series, but I fell back in love with Jean Luc Picard with the Amazon series Star Trek Picard, yeah, um, yep. that we get now in that regard, and it just reminded me of all of the the, the great episodes and stories that we saw in Next Gen. Uh, but then there's always these bits characters, these side characters that would play through. Like I love, for example. Um, the Ferengi and the fact that they were introduced in Next Gen but really found a home as, you know, parts of the universe, parts of the Federation in Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, they run the casino and bar effectively. Yep. And, and you run – you get all these threads that sort of kind of start in a Star Trek episode but then don't go anywhere. And then so sometime later on a, a director or writer says – Hey, whatever happened to this, and mm -hmm. and picks that up, and I mean that's that's where we actually uh, come to today. Um, what what they've done here 
quite quite um, skillfully, I think. Uh, and they did get an eight point one on IMDb for this one, so that's a pretty high rating for a mm-hmm. Star Trek. Um, that they've actually said, well, there's this there's this very interesting dynamic with Will Riker that happens in the episode seven Second Chances uh, back in uh, season seven, I think it was, towards the end of Next Generation. Yep, sure. Um, and, uh, and 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 so he's caught in a transporter accident you know fantastic they're all they're happening all the time and get split um into an identical clone of himself uh who at the end of that episode adopts the name thomas so we've actually got one of those threads you're talking about that kind of you know um starts but doesn't go anywhere that actually spins off um into into this whole other story here today and that rich history is where I think in in a universe that is as deep and wide as the Star Trek universe, that we get, you know, the joys for fans when actual fans are engaged in the writing or the direction of a a series or or something that connects into it because they will dive deep. They will find those things that connect you back in it. We're seeing it now with some of the stuff happening, uh, particularly in, in Star Wars and its generation stuff, as well as, of course, the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Um, but but Star Trek is just so deeply connected into each other's series, um, and that was the stuff that always made it really great to see this stuff pop up. Now, I will offer, I didn't recall. So having seen this, I went and did the, the, the geeky deep dive. Nine years ago, a transporter accident created two William T. Rikers. One of them returned to his ship. The other was marooned on Nervala 4. The second Riker was finally discovered two years ago. He chose to use his middle name Thomas to distinguish himself from the other Riker. The two men are physically identical in all respects, right down to their DNA coding. There was no way for the security computer to know that it was Thomas, not William, who boarded the Defiant. I was a little bit taken aback, I think, by the fact that, you know, there was, a, a as you said, it was an, an incident that took place, you know, uh, uh, and all of a sudden we now have two Rikers that he was split. It just made me think about all of the things I would take advantage of with that faulty um, system to be able to, well, I need lots more. Let's duplicate these things. Yeah, more yeah. More money, more other things. Oh, let's get more of these people to do stuff. That's right. We, we, we could have a no, never-ending supply of mulks. We could just, you know, we could have oh. you, you, one could go to work and one could go to golf and one could go to, you know, wherever else you wanted to go. And, and Now we're starting um, to sound like the Michael Keaton movie Multiplicity, uh, which nobody <laughs> needs to see. That's another really deep dive. Um, the challenge, though, that in introducing these two Rikers, uh, Will, was that the thing that stood out for me was that when we first meet Riker in this episode, you know, unless you're really leaning heavily into, oh, but he's got this, it could be could be his twin. I think everybody just accepts at face value that this is the Will Riker from, um, you know, the Enterprise that we know and love. Welcome aboard, Commander. Thank you. Call me Will. What brings you to Deep Space Nine? Strictly pleasure. Actually, I've built up about three months of leave and Dr. Crusher finally insisted that I take some of it. She nearly shoved me out of the airlock. <laughs> well, DS9 isn't exactly known as a vacation spot. And then all of a sudden it's not. And it really made me stop and think and go, well, hang on, apart from the fact that that he's a different guy, what has happened in this, you know, in the time that this clone effectively has now been living life, that they're now in this place that appears to be entirely at odds with 
everything that, you know, uh, Will Riker was about. Mm. And, and yeah, because at that point we have to assume that at, at this creation of Thomas Riker, the new uh, alternate Riker or faux Riker, we'll call him Friker, um, when the Friker turns up that he must have just it, – it's a carbon copy, memories, thoughts, understandings, um, neural pathways, everything that makes Will Riker Will Riker. So to duplicate him, there's been some pretty horrible stuff that Friker has seen to get to this point where he's decided to, you know, fight with the Marquis and, and try and overturn everything. And part of that actually does come out of that episode Second Chances because um, the, the actual transporter incident mm-hmm. takes place before Riker joins the Enterprise. Um, so he he's on a sh- another ship, yeah. uh, and it's eight eight years prior. So it's about a year before he actually gets his promotion to become first officer of the Enterprise. Yeah. Um. And and uh, he's supposed to be beamed up from the planet, um. But there's a an accident, and so one copy of Riker from the transporter beam returns to the ship and goes on and becomes our Will Riker and goes to the Enterprise and lives that life. The other one is marooned. Um. Uh, you know, um, Tom Hanks style castaway oh, um, on on this planet, all by himself, living off um, the indigenous rats of the of the planet, trying to actually um, to to make out. And so, when they arrive, is to, to pick him up in second chances. They don't know he's there. They beam down, and there's a human on, on the on the planet, and he turns up, and he's got the whole castaway beard and the ripped clothing, and he's he's saying, "Oh, thank goodness you've come to rescue me." Neither of those Rikers were aware that the other one ever existed. So already you've got eight years of trauma, abandonment, a sense of um, disappointment, um, um, you know, wondering if the Federation will ever come back to collect him, um, not knowing that from his perspective this imposter has gone on to actually live his life um, and be successful while he's had to sit back and, and have, have none of that. But then even more so, right, like the, the Will Riker that we know and love surely would have once they discovered um, Mr. Friker that it, it he would have wanted to to at least make sure that he was cared for and, you know, um, recovered from his time away. Like not just, oh, well, here you go. Uh, put him in a new set of clothes and push him out into the universe. Have a great time, Thomas. See you later. Like you'd want to keep track on your, yeah. un, you know, otherwise unknown clone, wouldn't you? Well, it's really interesting. They end up with this very bizarre sibling rivalry. They are because I rewatched Second Chances just to get mm. my head back around this episode, and and um, they they became like Cain and Abel. Um, you know, they 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 both had their 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 offerings, and and you know, uh, we know from some of Riker's backstory, from what we've seen in Star Trek mm. and, and in Next Generation, that his relationship with his father was always competitive. Um, that there was a lot of unresolved baggage that actually happens there, and and a lot of Riker's driven alpha male personality is actually um, means that he's he's always very competitive with other male males around him. Yep. Um, in a very charming kind of way, but but he 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 doesn't relate well with others, especially if he perceives them to be in competition. They quickly become a threat to Riker. I mean, it's. I I know that this is a little bit sort of leaning into stuff that we don't really know, um, but surely it would have been a red flag for people to discover that, oh, you know, William Riker's on, you know, on the, 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 the space station. Um, 
And his response is, I had some leave built up. Yep. So I thought, it. no, mate, no one goes and hangs out on a space station out on the edge of the Federation. In uniform. That's right. Just I'm on holidays. <laughs> yeah, mate. he's still wearing his uniform. That's right. It's yep. just all a bit suspect. Oh, no, no, that's fine. Here, let me show you this thing. Now, there were a couple of other little giveaways that actually happened in that as well. So he, he doesn't remember obviously because he's Thomas Riker. Mm-hmm. He doesn't the Friker doesn't remember um, he that that he played Tongo with Judge Zia Dax yes. a year before. So he's got to quickly do a catch up there and actually mm. go, oh yes, yeah, what a night. Hey. Um, and and fill in the blanks. But then he runs into an even bigger snag. Yes. He runs into Miles O'Brien. Commander I'd heard you were aboard, but I, I hadn't There's nothing to say to you, O'Brien. I think you know why. Oh, maybe we should come back another time. No, 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 Major. It's all right. I was just leaving. Miles has the opportunity, the possibility of exposing him by 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 just accidentally blundering onto something that would give him away, and so he 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 attacks. Um, he gets on the front foot, and 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 you know, it's it's this. He says, "I have nothing to say to you, O'Brien. You know why?" And it's kind of like, "Whoa, what is that?" And, and and the weird part is that O'Brien kind of skulks away from that that exchange, and we kind of see him look back and look a bit confused and puzzled. Never see O'Brien for the rest of the episode. Yep. For all we know, he's going into his quarters, locked the door, and having a big old cry to himself, and mm-hmm. it, it's just forgotten. You know, his his feelings got hurt, and that's it. Well, he doesn't even have Keiko at the moment. Um, Keiko's off mm. um, um, uh, being a botanist um, on Bajor. Um, and so, you know, but but it's it's not out of character for Miles, you know. So, I mean, I, I find it really fascinating. There's a lot of talk about masculinity at the moment in, mm. in society and, and, and toxic masculinity and what it means and, and how that works. And, I mean, whilst I, I, I would I – would, very rarely have any criticism of Riker. He's a he's a very likable character, and I would I would class him as as heroic and and you know um, aspirational in many ways. But but there is a toxicity in the way that he carries himself, um, and and sort of certainly Thomas, but also it, it's there in Will as well, and. and and you've got a different kind of masculinity that's displayed by by Miles O'Brien, um, who, who's also you know a, a, a credible professional with skills and reason to be confident. But at the same time, there's a there's a different way of being um, a, a man for him. It, it it was interesting, particularly because uh, yeah, we can only make the the comparisons for what we see in the show. Um, but Friker particularly is there sort of running off to go and, and I'm jumping ahead, you know, we're going over here to this, we want to destroy this place and go yep. into this because we, you know, the Marquis want to make sure that the Cardassians don't have a chance to hurt anybody and all of the rest of it. Um, and he's making some really definite kind of decisions and statements that I think are, uh, can I say Riker-esque, yep. but he leans a little bit, it becomes clear that he's leaning far more into, you know, the, the the teaching and the learning around, you know, why the marquee exists and those sorts of things. He's very single-minded, whereas the Riker that we know otherwise um, is much more open. He's more of a consultative kind of leader. 
Like we look at Picard, Picard's like A is A, B is B, and we'll get on with life. Whereas Riker was always a little bit more, I will make decisions, but I like to make sure that I'm across what everyone else thinks. And in this, Riker is very much, we're doing this, we're going here, we're doing this, we're going to blow this up, and then we're probably going to die. And uh, Kira really fronts him on that, you know, like you want to be a hero. Um, And there is a sense in which... I mean, imposter syndrome is kind of the the word we throw up here. That that Thomas Riker is 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 with for all of his confidence and bluster, there mm. is there is this sense of not being enough that actually exists in him. That he actually really seems to be wrestling with this whole idea of I'm always going to be caught in the the real guy's shadow. Um, that he's he's the the lesser. Of the two, and he he, you can see that 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 insecurity is 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 um is, I guess in some ways causing him to make those decisions. Oh, without being indiscreet though, he is like he yep. is secondary and in the shadow of, you know, William Riker because if if we just work on human life years, you know, um, it, it, it technically is about what eight, twelve, maybe fifteen years old. Um, yep comparatively, uh, and he's making some really simple mistakes. Quite frankly, every ship, every ship in the Federation fleet has a brig because they know that from time to time they will need to lock people away. You don't put somebody who you've just, you know, basically had to overpower and take the ship away from in Kira and put her in like someone's quarters. Put her in the brig, mate. Yep. Of course, she's going to play with the replicators and cause yes. an explosion to overload the ship. That's her job. She's got I mean, to stop it from happening. Convenient plot device, but yes, um, you know, you would go. We'll put her in the brig so that we know exactly where she is and she can't mess with anything, and we'll get on and do our job. But had she yep. not been able to do that, of course, we wouldn't have got to the place where we were and even discovered the secrets that the Cardassians, oh, not the, the Cardassians, but the Obsidian Order, were hiding. Yeah, it's interesting you draw that distinction too because that's one of the things we discover here is that the Obsidian Order um, uh, is, is now in a position where it's it's growing its own military. It's becoming um, a, 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 it's going from becoming a, an intelligence faction inside the Cardassians to actually being something that's that 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 has a independence in its own right. Because um, they're not uh, meant to, right? Isn't it the, the no. whole the whole premise of the Obsidians is that they're not meant to have weapons. Yeah, that's right. They're supposed to be an intelligence agent only, um, and that's part of the checks and balances that actually keeps Cardassian society for all of its, uh, um, I, I guess, um, uh, unpleasant um, cultural norms. Mm. Um, order and structure is a very big part of Cardassian society, uh, and they're actually attempting to have knowledge and military power at the same time, which makes them... Uh, a, a very dangerous force within within Cardassia. I, I was um, I was impressed particularly with the writing around um, you know the, the conversations between um, Cardassia is Ducat, wasn't it? Ducat, um, yeah, Gold Ducat, yeah, yeah, and 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 Carinius, um, Carinius, who was the Obsidian observer, yep, and and that clearly knew like Carinius knew. What was out there? What in the Aureus system, and and what they were doing, and all of those sorts of things. It doesn't want anybody else to know about it, particularly Goldicott, yep. because it's it's it reveals their secrets and all of those sorts of issues. But just the interplay between them from the get go, because Commander, allow me to introduce Coronus, our observer from the Obsidian Order, Commander Cisco, 
Coroners. Welcome to Cardassia Prime, Commander. Thank you. Excuse me. Secure that console while the human is here. Anything else classified level four or above should also be secured. I'm sure you can understand that although we all respect Gold Ducat's decision to bring you here, we must take some precautions. Of course, I would have done the same. But then, I would have been more discreet. Uh, you know, Corinius maintained their distance from everything, yet still directing and controlling everything. Yep. Uh, and Ducat's just... Like you would have to say you're atypical Cardassian, right? Like they're just there. He, he's there just being angry about everything. I don't want to blow something up. Yep. Although, interestingly, Ducott um, has that capacity himself in this particular one and, and, and always play, keeps his cards close to his chest. So he's a, he's a, he's the main Cardassian that we, we see and meet throughout Deep Space Nine. Mm. Uh, and and so he – but, but yeah, he's, he's deeply flawed in himself. I mean, in, in the same way that, that Thomas Riker is working through an inferiority complex to, to Will Riker, Ducott yeah. is really struggling that his successor of commander of Deep Space Nine or Tarak Nor as the – Cardassians called it is Cisco, and so there's this this constant rivalry that he's actually got with Cisco, and he's attempting to try and um, to, to do that. In, in this episode, they're forced to, co- to 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 cooperate, but we get that really interesting scene where Cisco has to go almost cap in hand. This is a very entertaining story, but why am I listening to it? We have reason to believe that Thomas Riker is a member of the Marquis. What? Thomas Riker was serving aboard the starship Gandhi. While he was there, he began to express certain political opinions, opinions that supported the Marquis and their goals. Are you telling me that one of the most heavily armed warships in this quadrant is now in the hands of Maquis terrorists. I love that Ducott says, uh, that's a really interesting story when he's told about Riker. Yes. But, but why am I hearing it? And, and yes. then suddenly he's going, what? And there's this mix in, in, in Ducott's response that says, I'm – I'm offended by the fact that the Federation has let this happen, but how cool is this that I actually now have Cisco um, coming mm. to ask me for help? And so he's got these 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 two conflicting emotions of 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 uh, um, of being uh, offended by or, or upset by something, and actually saying, "No, this is an opportunity. This is great for me." Yeah, I, and look, the. Um, I mean, the development of what happens in that last third, uh, that third act of, the, of this episode where, um, you know, Cisco, in part because he's gained, you know, some extra trust from Goldicott in this, uh, is able to leverage and work a deal so that nobody, there's no conflict that takes place, no shooting or, or destruction. Um, air quotes, everybody gets what they want or accept for um, Corinius, um, you know, in the, the, obviously at this point the Obsidian, their game is up, um, but that it yeah. allows Ducott to, to hold some honour and, and and uh, you know, within his 
uh, within the Cardassian race so that he can say, well, look at what I got. Here's this information. Um, everyone gets, you know, the, the Federation get their ship back. No one dies. Um, and uh, seemingly justice is served. Though I thought it was intriguing that the rest of the crew who were in this as much as Friker was, uh, just gets, yeah, no worries. See you later. Yeah. Off you go. That's right. We, we don't know what's going to – well, like, I, I'm, I guess we are hoping in some senses that as marquee rebels that they um, um, might face some kind of consequences within the Federation. But but what was most important to to, to Fryker or Thomas Riker was that, that, that they not have to face the Cardassian legal system. Well, that's right because he was staring down death, right? The Cardassians, they have this very different – we've seen the Cardassian legal system already with uh, Miles mm-hmm. O'Brien having to front the Cardassian legal system earlier in this series. Um, and, um, you know, you're guilty and guilty until um, – well, actually, you can't even be proven innocent um, – that, that they've, they've reversed the order of yes. things. You know, once you're charged, you are guilty. The court is then for the purpose of demonstrating to Cardassian society that they are safe and secure citizens – um, and um, and the, the the proper order of things is being kept, um, so it's it's actually uh, legal theatre, um, um, not um, not not legal legal system. I or thought defense. I thought that it was, and and maybe I just struck out at that moment, but I thought that they kind of convinced Thomas way too quickly to kind of you know hand over the logs and we won't you won't get killed, but you'll end up in a death camp for life. I mean, I'll put it to you, Will. Given the choice of a glorious death for your cause or giving over the logs of a ship and ending up in a death camp while all your mates get away with it, you know, pat on the back, which option are you going to choose? Oh, I'm with Bon Jovi. I'm going down in a blaze of glory. 100%. I'm flying in there and guns blazing. And I'm sitting here on my chair on the on the the biggest most power well not biggest but the most powerful warship the Federation has. Um, yeah, you'd make some damage on the way down. Take right? him out. Yeah, if this was a role playing game, um, I'd be picking up every dice I owned and rolling them <laughs> to 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 to, uh, to go through. And and the reality is is the chance that you might actually make it. Interestingly, yeah. though, this is Will Riker. This is the the Will Riker asserting. This is the noble. Thing to do, he 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 puts his crew ahead of his ego for the first time in the episode. But that's the catch. This is why I was I, I felt it was out of character for Thomas, but would have been completely consistent for Will. Yeah, is that Thomas did this at no other point in this episode? Yeah, like sure he played well and he did that. It got him to means to an end, but it was really about Thomas getting what he wanted. And even, even in fact, when there was sort of challenge about, well, where are we going to go? Oh, no, no, we're going over here. And I think it's like his, his first officer, the, the lady who's flying the, the Defiant, um, effectively says to him, if we go this way, we're not coming back. Yep. So they were already committed. Yeah. Well, she was a little bit worried, but he was like determined and we're doing it. It's not yep. a problem. So then all of a sudden go, oh, well, maybe I'll let them live and I'll just go and work in a labor camp. I didn't, I didn't see the attraction. No. No, maybe it's um, his Darth Vader moment, you know, from uh, Return of the <laughs> Jedi. Uh, you know, Kira says, "I see good in you. I know there's a Will Riker still alive in you." Um, but you're right; it 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 kind of um, struggles to hold itself together in some ways because because in some ways it's an admission by Thomas Riker 
that he's not authentic and that the Will Riker mm-hmm. is the real deal and and that he has to be more like that which he has been competing against if he wants to actually really be um, truly noble um, and, and ethical. I'd be putting some kind of tag on Thomas Riker if I was Will just so I knew where he was at all times so that you know, in some kind of perimeter electronic sense of fence that if he left it, I'd get an alert. He's headed somewhere else. Um, I wouldn't want him to get too far out of my purview just because of all of these reasons that we talked about and what Thomas Rikers did in this episode. Yeah, yep. Look, Will's probably a bit distracted at the moment. I'm going to jump into one of those one of those plot holes, one of those uh, those headcanon moments where you can jump in there. Um, yep. We know that um, when we last saw Will Riker, uh, at the end of Next Generation, um, Deanna Troy, his Imzadi, um, mm. has has hooked up with Worf, um, which can't be easy um, for, uh, for for Will, um, and, and that doesn't last. Um, and then the next time mm. we see Will Riker, we're actually coming into the uh, another movie where um, where Will and Deanna are reacquainting, and then the next time we see him after that, which is after this point, um, they're mm. getting married. Um, and then we follow through, and we see that that Will and um, and Deanna live happily ever after um, on a on a planet. Um, and Picard drops in and sees them, uh, not entirely yes. happy ever after. They do have st- still some uh, some issues. Uh, I think they one of their sons gets killed, and but like it's, I really like the way that Picard gave us a bit of an epilogue on Riker. Um, as yes. we've kind of explored this character, we've kind of gone, oh. Now we're we're looking at before the Enterprise, and now we're looking at way after the Enterprise. We we kind of get this this really wide view on this one character, um, who who doesn't feature in this episode, but is actually the the shadow that actually influences most of the behaviour that Thomas explo- ex, ex, um, puts out for us. The the other thing that I thought was really interesting about this episode is that particularly on on Deep Space Nine, because there's so many people coming and going and there's, you know, it, it ostensibly is a place where people, um, particularly for the Federation, will come to when they're, you know, on leave, but only if they're local. Riker, let's just chill out for a second. Um, I, th- I thought it was interesting that there was no B-plot, like that it was all about yep. the ships being stolen, how do we address it, what do we do? There was, like, even when Cisco's doing some negotiation and talking to Ducotte and how are we going to get through this and, and Corinius is getting involved. It's still all about the Defiant. There is no other story in this episode. Yep, that's right. Um, so this this mighty ship and and this mighty or, 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 or strong uh, gravity well of an actor, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in terms of modern Star Trek, if you were going to point towards your, 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 your Shatners and your Nimoys, you, you definitely – have Riker up there, um, uh, Jonathan Frakes up there as as um, as somebody who who has not only um, uh, acted in and appeared in more of the series um, than any other. He he appears here mm-hmm. um, both in front of and behind the camera in Deep Space Nine. Um, I don't believe we see him at all in front of the camera in Voyager, but we do have him in front of the character uh, camera for e- episodes of Enterprise. Um, yes, and so we've got. We've got this actor who, who, who is a, a centerpiece. He's a he's a he's a next gen Shatner of the um of the world, maybe even more so than than um, Patrick Stewart, who 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 did other things. Um, 
whereas Jonathan Frakes has really devoted himself to the Star Trek franchise and actually invested in it heavily and still does today. Yeah, I don't know that we need to curse him as, as you know, the, the Shatner-esque, you know, the next next in line. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, that's I think is the great thing about Frakes and certainly Riker as a character is uh, being able to move in and out of the Star Trek universe and fitting into that so freely because he wasn't a captain. Yep. You know, I think that you know, the captain, the captaincy is where really we anchored each of the series. So that meant that if a captain was to show up, well, for example, why would Picard show up in Deep Space Nine? That you yeah. have to have a much longer series understanding story arc of why that sort of fit in. But of course, we'll totally buy that. You know, here's Will Riker. He's just turning up because whatever reason, because that's how that functions and fits into all of those other um, separate bits. The 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 interesting part of it for mine in 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 Riker sort of seeing through so many different parts of the Star Trek universe and um, Frakes fitting into it both in in front of and behind the camera, um, it, I think is as much testament to that broader universe building that when we look at it and we understand the stories that we learn from Star Trek, even back to Roddenberry's original kind of vision for the series, that it was about expanding our understanding and trying to to see the other in the story uh, and and connecting ourselves to that, what does that mean, how do we feel, what does that look like? Yeah, yep, definitely. Well, look, I, I, I mean, we've spent most of our time talking about um, Will Riker uh, and and uh, Thomas Riker, the Friker. I like that. That's a new word we've actually invented today. Um, we can claim it. I might put in uh, hashtag Friker um, later on, yeah. see if that trends. Um, um, but I'm interested in, um, I guess, having a bit of a look at um, some of those aspects that we've kind of covered over um, as we've talked here uh, about um, – the ways in which our insecurities can actually cause us to make decisions that are that are that 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 might be impulsive or or ones we wouldn't necessarily normally make that that like mm-hmm. you said the difference between what is the difference between in this sliding doors moment that that Riker has between the the storyline of Thomas Riker and the storyline of Will Riker um, and and to have a look at maybe um, or, or talk about how. Um, as 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 people, we we actually um, do make decisions based on um, our fears and our insecurities. Yeah, and 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 look, I thought that that was really well um, displayed. As much as even, I guess, um, the really uh, reasonable use of power by um, Cisco in in some of that conversation around how he does his, let's call it diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, as we've seen the Federation in other instances and, and other iterations, quite often the Federation's approach is, uh, particularly with regards to you know, the Enterprise and, 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 and variations therein, is to just turn up, say we're in control, um, maybe try and you know, negotiate a peace, but if we have to kick some butt, we'll kick some butt. Yep. Um, Whereas in this, it was really it was a really subtle use of power. It was an acknowledgement by Cisco, I think, that if I release my rightful power in this situation, you know, I'm in charge ostensibly while Kira is a prisoner over on the Defiant, um, that I need to step into this scenario and allow, like I said before, allow Ducot to 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 maintain face within his cultural uh, and societal situation. 
to do that, though, I need to, you know, work with him and, ex- and express, um, build a situation where we can together work to solve this rather than just me telling you or, or kind of lengthy, drawn-out negotiations. It just needs to be I'm appealing to you and I understand that you're going to approach it like this. So here's the story and the information I need to give you that helps draw you in so that you will then want to be a part of this, that we all get to win in the parties involved in that in that negotiation. Yep. And, and and it's a difficult thing for Cisco in particular because, see, the Federation often operates within this utopian existence. And so an episode mm. of Star Trek is about it begins with a stable utopia, an incident occurs to threaten the utopia, the crew works together to find some kind of science or diploma, diplomacy or something else to restore the utopia, credits roll, that's the end of the episode. Um, yes. But... But Deep Space Nine is actually caught up in in a dystopia. Um, The Marquis create a unique set of problems for the Federation because they are a rebellion. They are are Federation citizens who have actually said, no, we will not. They they are conscientiously objecting. And we've already travelled with Cisco with his his best friend from from, uh, the Academy, Cal Hudson. Captain Hudson actually makes the decision Mm. to join the Marquis and that hurts Cisco. Cisco has sympathy for the Marquis and this Marquis problem continues to haunt him all the way through as we, we, uh, from this point onwards, we become aware that there are Marquis spies working in his team, that he's actually betrayed by a member of, of his team, spoilers, spoiler alert there, but um, you know <laughs> you, you should have watched it by now. Um, yes. and, and and so we have this foreshadowing of, uh, and I really love. Uh, I'll go right into the spoiler now because we've got some time to talk about it. I, I really love the way that they they didn't just bring uh, an evil red shirt in to suddenly betray the captain, but what they've done is they've brought. Yes. Eddington in as as a as a as a head of security. He comes on board and he works beside. Odo and he appears in episodes and he helps them to solve problems and he's part of the team. And so when that when that dystopian moment comes for him and he he makes his decision to leave the Federation and support the Marquis, just as Thomas has done, just as Cal Hudson has done, mm-hmm. um, he it's it's a real betrayal and it really hurts. Um, so Cisco is is really caught here because he's Let's let's face it. He he's three shades away from actually deciding to join the marquee himself. Well, yeah, and and that's that's part of as you said the great tension for him is is an empathy and an understanding of the marquee and what they stand for and why they exist and and he might disagree with their uh, approach to how they're implementing it and getting the stuff done. However, what he's also then torn about is that he is a dedicated Federation. Um, commander. He's involved in it. He's got to do what he has to do um, and follow the rules and get everything happening. So there's this great um, building really, isn't it? It's a a growing tension within him or an upset within him uh, that he knows that, well, I I get why this happens and and if it was in any other situation, I might even join them. But I can't do that because the Federation is everything. And in this episode, he has to cooperate with and gain the cooperation of the Cardassians who are his, his rival or his enemy um, mm. is an uneasy truce, but but the reality is he knows that Ducott would do, would give anything to actually get the station back, um, that he left under duress, that he, he feels that he's been cheated of his own sense of heroism and 
and brilliance. Um, um, and he's been he's been knifed. Like so, so, so Goldacott is really scheming and looking for an opportunity to unseat Cisco and take yes. back that, that high office again. Um, so he has to cooperate with the enemy to actually bring those for whom he has sympathy for back back to justice. Um, so the whole question of justice is really, really messy here. Yeah. Um, well, that's right, because the Cardassian justice would say that he's dead mm. um, uh, and the Federation would say certainly there needs to be a trial and face punishment for the things that you do, but maybe not death. Um, and, yeah, look, I, I, I always I always find it interesting when uh, we get to be able to retrospectively look back and question the motives of the way a character functions mm. when they have like no at all real knowledge of what's coming, you know, yep. like the stuff that was written for them in subsequent seasons uh, came out. So the, the writers get to kind of shoehorn back in retrofit uh, the way that, well, because this happens, we can make that happen um, or turn it on its head because that happened earlier. Yeah. Uh, but of course the, the actors don't get to understand that motivation at the time or know that they're building this, this much bigger um, and developed story. Yep even though they might be inhabiting the character for years. And even if they're told that, um, I guess knowing that something is coming is very different to the experience of going through it. So so there's a sense in which um, at this point in time, Cisco um, can't know um, yes. how much how, how, how much this marquee situation is going to intensify. And at the same time as that, they've got this other intensifying situation in the Dominion on the other side of the wormhole. Um, they don't get a mention in this episode, but but no. they're, they're there is another shadow specter because the only reason why the Defiant is here is actually as a weapon of mass destruction to create fear against the Dominion. Um, and so th- this 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 ship is is the guardian post um, that that Cisco has been given to park. Um, in the harbour outside mm. the, the wormhole to say um, you come through there at your own risk. Um, this this ship is 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 uh, how does Robert Downey Jr. say oh, in 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 Iron Man? He talks about uh, Iron Man. Tony Stark says the best weapon you have is the one you don't have to fire. Um, yes, but then I think he corrects himself and says the one you have to only have to fire once. Um, <laughs> but, but that's what the Dominion is. I mean, this is a this is a. Stark Industries weapon to actually say um, we're gonna we're gonna uh, stall or prevent war by actually having this this big ship here, and now the little marquee terrorists have actually stolen this this big weapon. Um, yeah, it says a lot about um, the the advances within the Federation technology that you know as we had seen before in many of the iterations. Here's the command. Uh, post for for you know the enterprise and here's the captain and here's this you know their the, the second in command uh, and here's navigation and here's this and the, you know eight or ten people right yep. across the the that run the helm and 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 all of those sorts of things to run the defiant three people yep yeah I mean they don't even need anybody down in 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 uh, engineering they don't need anybody off into medical. I mean, fair enough, medical maybe, but um, <laughs> they've just got a pilot and the other guy who doesn't actually say much and, of course, Friker. It isn't a very big ship, though, so it's a much smaller ship than the Galaxy-class starship, the the um, 
the, the yeah, but it's still like super powerful. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's yeah. got weapons and all sorts of things. Absolutely. At least you would think something that size, you'd have to have somebody in charge of weapon systems. Uh, maybe that's what the guy in the back was doing. Yeah, that's know. why he was shooting the weapons. Yeah, maybe. Unknown know. extra character. But it doesn't actually have any of those departments. So there is no um, – I remember um, they were saying in an episode previous to this, um, Bashir complains because there is no sick bay. Um, so he's got to treat people where they are. Um, the the quarters are actually – there's no individual quarters. They're all bunks. So when we see them on yep. the Defiant, they're all kind of bunked in. So this is like the submarine of the Federation. Like it's a – Submarine. It's a, it's a fast <laughs> – it's a fast-paced, compact vessel um, where, where, yeah, you're right, uh, you know, and, and I imagine each person on the crew of the Defiant Bridge has to do so much more. Um, they've got to be yeah. managing and multitasking um, uh, because it's not designed to have a huge crew either. No playing Tetris in your spare time. No, 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 that guy is playing Tetris. No, Gallagher, wasn't it, in um, – Yes, sorry. <laughs> that guy's playing Gallagher. I, I love that those little details, but uh, let's not get distracted by MCU at the moment. It's been really interesting to actually to, to cover um, the, the 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 sentient um, humanoids in this, but to also, <laughs> as we've just done, talk about the Defiant as a as an entity. I mean, you know, mm. we've just talked about this. This it is the other character, and the 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 name of the episode is Defiant. Um, which both describes the Marquis, Thomas Riker's position and the name of the ship um, mm. that actually is is hijacked and stolen um, by Thomas. It's a good episode. It's one that, like, I, I again, in my, my bigger, deeper diving, sort of found that there's lots of different places that include this episode in kind of, if you just want to follow the narrative arc of Deep Space Nine and not kind of get distracted by, oh, we've gone to a planet, something happened at the end. Um, you know, that this is one of those episodes that helps build in this this broad picture of the Deep Space Nine story, helps us understand some of Commander Sisko's motivations, helps us see, you know, how Kira functions, the relationship with the Cardassians, all that stuff's really great. And because of all of those connections, it feels much more like a movie than an episode. Mm. Um, it's got that feeling. One of the other things I, I noticed um, as I was looking is that um, um, just like Superman taking off his glasses to reveal his secret identity, once um, uh, 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 Thomas Riker gets safely under the, the, the bridge of the Defiant, oh. he takes off his sideburns and, uh, oh and gets a goatee. Because and we everybody never see them again. Every, everybody knows that a goatee is uh, is far more uh, reckless and evil than a, than a full beard. Uh, Way more sinister. Um, <laughs> oh, please. So no, that was I thought that was an interesting little piece that, that that happens there as well. Just after that happens, if you if you look really closely as he puts those two sideburn bits down, uh, they both crawl off. <laughs> they go walking away. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe oh maybe that maybe that explains his behaviour. Perhaps they were some kind of uh, uh, symbiote life form that actually uh, possessed him for the moment and caused his judgment to be impaired. Um, I mean, sure, you can make all the excuses for Friker you want, Will. <laughs> I look, I can't help but like him, um, and I can't help but feel sad that he's he's off. Somewhere hanging from his arms, probably you know some Cardassian officer's um, um, uh, uh, um, space near his desk yep. while he eats an egg. You know we've seen all this before, and mm -hmm. um, and he's got to be crying out that there are four lights when they're you know when they're trying to convince him there are five lights. Mm -hmm. 
just like what happened with Picard. Like we know the Cardassians um, um, not only don't treat their prisoners well, but they enjoy not treating their prisoners well. Yes. Like um, that, 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 you know, we get this kind of fade to black musical interlude at the end and Kira gets to go home and everything's great. But, but I, I for all he's done, I actually feel bad for Thomas. I, I, I think that I, I think death would be better. <laughs> Honestly, mm. we come back to that blaze of glory. He's going to spend, you know, potentially he's, he's, he's not, not an old man. He, he could spend another 30 to 40 years being tortured by Cardassians. Are we particularly meant to, to think that Friker's sacrifice is a noble one? Is that is that what we're trying to be like? What we're being led to? I I I guess so. We get that from Kira in their last interaction. We'll get you out of there, Tom. I promise you that. I love you. I know. Um, it was kind of, you know, that kind of moment. Has he been frozen in carbonite and taken off to hang in Jabba the Hutt's palace? I mean, is it is it that kind of um, nobility? What a great crossover about? moment if that happened. <laughs> what an amazing crossover moment. <laughs> Yeah. We get it. We get a shot of uh, there must be one on the internet somewhere of Thomas Riker in carbonite sitting in a Cardassian office. That would just be really interesting. Yeah. Well, look, um, I think we've probably covered everything in this episode. Any any final thoughts uh, from you as we we come to the end uh, of this um, uh, this podcast episode today, Malk? Yeah, don't go holidaying on a space station, particularly one that's on the outer edge of Federation space. Um, find other places to go on holidays, yep. just is my first rule of thumb. Uh, and the second one is it reminded me, e- even though this episode itself is, what, 26-ish years old, yep. um, that the writing in it is actually really solid. That You know, there's some really good stuff that that, that wafts through um, – you know, the Star Star Trek universe that allows us to go, okay, so we're actually getting more meat on the bones of the characters, even though this is, you know, a, a particularly one or two note episode story, we still get to have those foundations built in and that's really important. Absolutely. Now, you, um, you've got a podcast of your own. Um, I always like to let people have an opportunity to talk about their own podcast. podcast. You're on uh, Binge Box TV. Um, any, 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 um, any, any, uh, current goss you can tell us about where binge box is going at the moment? Oh, I love it. Every week, um, will we pick up a TV show and myself and my three co-hosts, Dan, Joe, and Steven, um, watch the show and then turn up and talk about it. So it's not, it's not a hard premise, right? Um, but at the same time, we also then report in on the things that we've been watching ourselves and whether or not we think it's any good. But that deeper group binge is, is to allow us sometimes to be exposed to the kinds of shows that we wouldn't normally watch or that we wouldn't choose to watch. Uh, and sometimes it's just to revel in the glory of some incredibly good or incredibly bad TV. It's so fun. And that's TV Binge Box. It's out every Tuesday. Um, across the TV ratings here. Yep, awesome. You can find that wherever you're finding your your, your favourite podcasts. What I really also love about um, TV Binge Box is um, the the very active Facebook. Uh, is it a page or a group you've got? Um, that uh, that 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 it's not just about what's happening in the podcast, but you've got yes. people who are you've got an entire community of people talking about um, this media mm. that they love that 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 they love to hate, um, and um, and so there's this real 
constant uh, conversation. It's it's and in in some ways, I guess for me and for others that I've spoken to, it's replaced the water cooler conversation during this time of COVID. <laughs> We've had no liminal corridor, corridors to pass people in. Yeah, and, and look at the, the rise in in you know home recording technology and and remote meeting software and stuff has made it really helpful to us. Um, so to be able to do that, you know, one of us lives in Melbourne, the, another two live in Sydney, and I live on the Central Coast. Uh, so if we had to physically get together, it could be, you know, a long time between episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, I um, I just wanted to let our our listeners know that um, the never odd or even um, faith and fiction, never odd or even media. Um, uh, Patreon has been launched, so you can go to Patreon, and if you want to support us there, um, there are some interesting perks there uh, for the for the Voyager uh, Theological Journey podcast, which happens uh, recording happens every Friday, and we release it on Wednesdays. Uh, we will be giving the opportunity for those who want to support us in that way to actually come and be a part of the uh, the viewing audience. You'll get to see behind the scenes and and hear Great. all of Lindsay's bad jokes that I um, <laughs> edit out of the uh, the podcast. Um, and uh, and and some of the, um, the 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 strong outbursts bursts from our very own Captain Rainway, um, and <laughs> uh, and the times where I go geeking off into a tangent that, that just shouldn't be there. Um, we um, so you you've got the opportunity to do that, um, and um, uh, also there'll be a number of other exclusive um, Patreon member uh, activities that you'll be able to participate nice. in. So that that's something we're doing. Um, the um, the other thing to remember is um, uh, I'm, I'm envious of the uh, binge box community. So if you'd like to be a part of the Never Odd or Even community and uh, engage there, then uh, jump on. There's there's a number of people there who are who are geeking out specifically about faith and fiction, um, and uh, you've got the opportunity to do that. And just a reminder that last week's guest um, uh, on Deep Faith Nine, Dr. James McGrath, is running a, a seminar on the 16th of April, that's for Australian viewers, 15th of April for US uh, listeners, uh, and that'll be at 9 o'clock in the morning Australian um, Standard Time, um, and that'll be on science fiction in Christianity where he'll be taking us on a time-travelling rollick uh, through uh, Christian history to see uh, where science fiction is already at work. Uh, so that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a couple of fabulous things that are coming up in the world of uh, geeky science fiction um, to, um, to be engaged in. Um, as mm. we explore faith and fiction. Well, I think that's probably all we've got time for today. Um, thanks for joining me, Mark. It's been absolutely wonderful to have you on. We'd, we'd be happy to come back again for a future episode. I would love to. Thanks so much, Will. Look, if you uh, if you do think of an episode you'd like to be on, um, then uh, drop me a message and uh, and uh, and uh, be happy to to have it for you. Um, uh, especially if there's one you think's got something meaty you'd like to talk about in terms of faith and fiction and so, and um, uh, and that intersection. I'm uh, Will Nicholas. This has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast. Thanks for joining us again this week. <laughs>